the reason why coping mechanisms for disordered anxiety don't work is that the whole point of overcoming disordered anxiety is to teach the threat response that anxiety itself is not dangerous. So your threat response is always watching what you're doing. And if you walk into the restaurant and do a lap and find all the safe escapes, the threat response is going, why are you doing that? When, just in case I panic. Why? What's up with panic? Oh, it's dangerous. All right, okay. Welcome to a Healthy Push podcast. I'm Shannon Jackson, former anxiety sufferer turned adventure mom and anxiety recovery coach. I struggled with anxiety, panic disorder, and agoraphobia for 15 years. And now I help people to push past the stuff that I used to struggle with. Each week, I'll be sharing real and honest conversations along with actionable and practical steps that you can take to help you push past your anxious thoughts, the symptoms, panic, and fears. Welcome. You're right where you're meant to be. All right. Hello, Josh. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Shannon. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, this is going to be a great conversation. So Josh has been on the podcast before. If you have not heard of Josh, you're in for a treat. So he's Anxiety Josh on Instagram, all the places. He is a therapist, a former sufferer, a best-selling author, a podcast host, like I'm probably missing some things, <laughs> but you know he's he's big in the anxiety and panic and agoraphobia recovery world and does some really amazing work. So we're gonna dive into all things coping skills, and I'm very excited to chat with you. I specifically wanted to chat with a therapist about this, but also someone who has struggled. And I love that you kind of have you know the experience and also the the education behind it. So I think this will be a very enlightening conversation. So obviously, I'm sure, like this is an assumption, right? But I'm sure you've taught coping skills within your own practice. And what in general, like, what are they? Like, what <laughs> what are coping skills? Uh, a coping skill is something that um, it's like a, an action or behavior or a technique that gets you through an event to without letting the emotions and feelings feel overwhelming so for example you know someone doing a public speaking might do um have some coping skills um someone might deep breathe before i don't know going on a roller coaster going on a plane whatever um or they're just good they could be in any situation i use coping skills um, when I visit my family, for example, definitely need coping skills. My coping skills of, you know, strict boundaries, 10 minutes at a time, and then I had some time out because before I murder them all, um, <laughs> you know, coping skills are, you know, just doing certain things like that. And they're, they're, they're all right. You know, they're good. They, they, they can be really helpful for conventional anxiety. And if you're a convention, someone with like kind of conventional outwards anxiety coping skills are fine um when you try to use coping skills for certain levels of kind of inwards disordered anxiety however they can soon become compulsions so which i'm sure we'll talk about today yeah hey yeah. let's let's i love this so let's dive into that because i think you know coping skills can be really great like you said but i think you know, just speaking from my own experience when i go back i often used coping skills um so I struggled with panic and agoraphobia, most everyone knows. 
And I sort of used coping skills as a way to like make me not feel anxious <laughs> to try to like mm-hmm. get out of feeling anxious. And it often didn't work and often heightened the anxiety I was experiencing. And they sort of became these like ritualistic things that I would do. Like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm feeling it. Like the thoughts are coming. The symptoms are are coming. I've got to do the breathing techniques or distraction or, you know, all these things that I was taught. And I would find like, oh shit, <laughs> this isn't, this isn't working. And so mm. I love that you talked about, you know, you, you mentioned the compulsion. So how can these things, you know, become compulsions? Yeah. So when you look at when coping skills become unhelpful is when you split anxiety into two. Um, the first part of anxiety is that conventional anxiety you're talking about. So, you know, if you've got an exam, an upcoming interview, uh, your wedding day, I don't know, maybe it's a funeral, maybe it's something that's really stressful uh, and you want to cope with that. That's, that's all right. You know, that's okay. Whatever you want to use, you want to use. None of us are perfect. And that's all right. But coping skills can become compulsive for the second type of anxiety, which is inwards disordered. So if you struggle with a fear of anxiety, a fear and misinterpretation of anxiety, you might struggle with panic attacks, uh, agoraphobia, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. That's when you have intrusive thoughts, you know, nasty, horrible things. Um, and, you know, generally a fear and misinterpretation of fear of that fear response is basically, and the uh, unwillingness to want to experience it is what characterizes all of disordered anxiety, all of the second one. Uh, and naturally, like, we don't want to feel discomfort. No one does. I, you know, I was someone who was crippled with panic and anxiety for many years to the point where I couldn't work, couldn't leave my house um, because I believed that going to work or leaving my house would you know, make me feel more scared. Um, I wanted to quell the intrusive thoughts that my OCD was throwing, throwing at me. And all my life became just in case. I'll do this just in case this or just in case that, just in case that. And when you start to behave just in case the very unlikely thing will happen or you start to behave just in case I feel anxious and panicky and lose control and lose my mind and feel derealization and collapse and whatever and the whole world burns, um, just in case it happens, I'm going to then do this coping mechanism. Now, these coping mechanisms can be on the large scale. So they can be like total avoidance macro scale, macro avoidance, you know, like, oh, you know, I'll, uh, I'm going to avoid driving altogether because it scares me. Driving anxiety is a massive one. That's like my most, driving anxiety is my most listened to podcast. I was like, I've got so much cool stuff out there. Driving anxiety is the biggest one. Anyway, uh, so there's that macro anxi- anxiety, like I'm just going to completely av- avoid driving the car. And then you've got micro anxieties and their micro avoidances, sorry. And they're things like, I'll drive the car, but I'll do it with my safe person. There's a coping mechanism. I'll drive the car, but I'll avoid the highway. Well, there's a coping mechanism. I'll go to the restaurant, but I'll make sure I know where the toilet is just in case I panic. Don't get me wrong. If you've got like severe IBS or Crohn's or something like that, then obviously, you know, do your due diligence. It's fine. But like, if it's all because you're afraid to panic, you know, oh, I will 
you know, I will drive on the highway, but only in the slow lane, coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, I will go to the party and only speak to people I know and hang around near the exit. I will, you know, all these just in cases can happen on a micro level, on a macro level. And some people might say they're coping mechanisms, you know, even to the point I'm, I, I'm not even one of those that's into the kind of somatic experiencing stuff, you know, kind of, oh, if I deep breathe through it, I don't even do that because I think that is signaling to the brain that anxiety is dangerous, which is something I'll talk about later on if you want me to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, well, I can if you'd like. It's um, the reason why coping mechanisms for disordered anxiety don't work is that the whole point of overcoming disordered anxiety is to teach the threat response that anxiety itself is not dangerous. So your threat response is always watching what you're doing. And if you walk into the restaurant and do a lap and find all the safe escapes, the threat response is going, why are you doing that? When, just in case I panic. Why? What's up with panic? Oh, it's dangerous. All right, okay. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're if you doing thing, another thing on social media, which uh, <laughs> I did a post on ages ago, it was a bit spicy, like taking ice cubes and stuff. Like if, you, if you're going to go and if you're afraid of panic attacks and you take a load of ice cubes, Okay, let's say miraculously putting ice cubes on your wrists calms your anxiety. What have you just taught the brain? There? The brain's just learned that, well, you can't handle it without ice cubes. So what happens when you're in a nice hot place and you haven't got ice? Panic's going to be twice as worse, twice as bad. You know, these are where the coping strategies start to become counterintuitive. They start to actually work against us. You know, if you if someone tells you to deep belly breathe through anxiety, well, for me, when I get anxious, I blow up and I can't take a full breath. So when I try to deep belly breathe, because one time it helped me, I'm going to panic more because I can't breathe properly. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, and again, the brain's watching. It's going, what you, what, why is it? Is, da- is anxiety dangerous? And this is why you get disordered anxiety, anxiety, or in the CBT world, they call it secondary fear. So not only do you get anxiety, then you get anxiety on top of anxiety. So you get secondary anxiety because your coping mechanisms aren't working. Now, my biggest motto, biggest thing I tell to all people, my clients, people I work with, whatever, is that you are the coping mechanism. Nothing's not going to harm you. If anxiety and panic can't harm you, why are you acting like it can just in case? And if you're one of those people, it's okay. You've come this far. Now try and work on just you tolerating it. I don't even give it attention. And trust me, I have been to the depths of anxiety and depression. I don't even give it attention anymore. I'm like, oh, it's you again. You just want attention, whatever. You know, um, I use the analogy of, of, of a child having a tantrum once. And people got it. And lots of parents found it funny, you know, as you do. And, and then there was a, <laughs> it's a small, very small portion of the social media world going, there's no such thing as tantrums, you know, you're neglecting <laughs> children's needs. I'm like, I remember having my own tantrums as a kid because my mom wouldn't buy me sweets. Right. You know, like, what planet are you on? Children have tantrums, <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, so it was, it's one of them, like, just comp- I compared it like, you know, I'm not giving, you're not giving you attention because you're being unreasonable. And that was the way out. I live a very happy life now, you know, I get anxiety, but I don't get secondary anxiety anymore. Yeah. If, I get, if I get derealization, so what? If I get heart palpitations, so what? You know, if I don't sleep, so what? If I feel a whoosh of adrenaline, so what? I'm not going to sit, ruminate, compulsively do stuff, avoid, analyze, 
seek compulsively seek reassurance. No, I'm just I, I've got to the stage now where it doesn't work. I am I am the coping mechanism. I'll yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. It's good stuff because I think you know you hit on something that a lot of people struggle with, and that they'll use some of these coping techniques and skills, and and say, "I this doesn't work for me." Like this, like you said, the perfect example of the breathing exercise. I already feel like I can't get a good breath. I already feel, you know, maybe like I'm hyperventilating. Like this, this is not helpful to me, and. I remember like, because <laughs> I, of course, the, the lovely world of social media brings back a lot of memories for me through my own recovery journey. And I remember being taught some of these coping skills and not being really taught the underlying like reason why you use them and how they can be helpful and how they can be not so helpful. And I literally remember being in like one of the busiest towns that we have and going to a therapy session and being in my car and like I had such problems with driving. I mean, I had driving anxiety. And I remember just getting there and having to walk like a couple blocks to therapy and like using these gummies that somebody told me is going to help to relieve anxiety. They're going to calm me down. And I remember sitting in the car like mm, taking CBD gummies. <laughs> yeah. I don't even at the time, I, they weren't CBD, right? This had to have been like 10 years ago if not more haven't the gummies <laughs> right who knows what they had in them I don't even remember but I just remember thinking like okay if something has got to be able to help me right like anything I don't even care and I remember back then right I would look for anything and everything and like you're saying instead of looking outward to all these things if I instead just had looked inward and said okay like Shannon we've been here many times before Let's put the gummies down and, you know, we got ourselves here. We can walk a couple of blocks. We can stick with this feeling. Yeah, it sucks. It feels uncomfortable. But like, let's go because I know with all those actions that I did, I was putting like all of my power into all these things. Like I thought. Yeah, absolutely. One, the, one of the biggest things I say is who gets the credit. And if anyone's listening now going, oh, yeah, ask yourself constantly. I used to ask myself all the time. Who's getting the credit here? So if I do something really brave, let's say I go to a shopping center, that's very scary for me. I drive there, which is scary for me. And I go to the shopping center and I walk around. Suddenly I panic. So I ring my husband or my partner. I'm having a panic. Can you come get me? Or even not. Even if they don't come get you, they just talk to you on the phone. So you've got a macro avoidance, which is come and save me. Or you've got a micro avoidance, which is can you just talk to me through this? who's getting the credit for, for you doing that then? Well, actually, it's not you. It's going to be your partner. You know, oh, thank God my partner was there. Otherwise, I'd have lost control. Thank God that CBD gummy was there. Otherwise, I'd have lost control. Thank God that I can ring people at any time, 911, just in case, you know, uh, when you're doing something safe, like walk through the park or whatever. You know, who's getting the credit there? You know, even to the point, and this is why I, I don't like benzodiazepines and stuff like that, because they work, but they really don't in the long run. You know, if I, if I walk in and, and I pop a, a Xanax, yeah, okay, my anxiety's gone, but all my brain's learning is that I have to have a Xanax because I can't tolerate my anxiety on my own um, and, and stuff like that. What I would say, though, is that there is exceptions to that. So 
you get the credit for tolerating that discomfort. And that's when the brain learns. It rewires itself. That's how I got out of it. It's how many people get out of it. It's the principles of, you know, old exposure therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, where, you, you know, you expose yourself to the stimulus and, and, and the brain rewires itself. Um, there are exceptions, though. So, obviously, if you struggle with things like post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD and you're dealing with acute trauma, which is the vast minority of people, you know, the, the, the majority of people that go through traumatic events do not get PTSD, but there are specific people that do get PTSD and they will, it will feel very frightening for them, the traumatic experience that may come up for a trigger. I always say to people like that, it's like, listen, particularly if they're a client, I'd be like, where do you, would you like to get to with this trigger? You know, step by step. And coping mechanisms for trauma trauma triggers are, are absolutely fine. You know, absolutely fine, particularly if it's like really quite intrusive trauma, whether you've been a victim of abuse, you're a survivor of abuse, um, violence, car accidents, things like that. Um, obviously, you can still use, do exposure work with a trained professional using trauma, doing trauma work. But uh, what I'd say is if you're listening to this going, oh, I'm a failure because I can't do it without this and but you're actually doing it because of acute kind of PTSD, that's fine. You know, you do that, you you get through that, and that's just as courageous because, you know, if, you, if you're having flashbacks and things like that and you need, to, you need to hold on to something or whatever to get through it, by all means, you know, by all means do that. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think there is, you know, some – you have to kind of create some – cultivate safety within your your body and having gone through a traumatic experience you know your your nervous system can be all over the place and and you need some of that and so yeah yeah definitely but like i'm I'm particularly talking about ptsd like some people i hear a lot on social media yeah but panic attacks are traumatic i was like yeah they are Mm. but that doesn't mean it's to ptsd you know panic attacks can be traumatic you're aiming to teach the brain that they're not traumatic. It's our interpretation of them that was traumatic. I know. I mean, I used to panic every time I needed to take a leak because I had to leave my bedroom. Mm. And it was only at the point where I asked my family to for a bedpan. They were like, no, it's too far now. You know, you've got to go and do stuff. I was like, all right. And yeah, okay, I did the exposure work and it was scary. But actually saw quite a lot of good results, you know. Um slow results at first because I wasn't doing it properly. So I was using these coping mechanisms, okay, that got me out of the bedroom, fair enough. Mm-hmm. It's a journey. You know, if you use the coping mechanism to get out the house or do something scary, like go to a party, that's fine. And then the next time go and remove a coping mechanism or a safety object. And the next time move that as well. That's really fine. You can do those things. Uh, I'm not, you know, it's not black and white, but the end goal is to not use those macro avoidances and micro avoidances that's the end goal how you get there is up to you yeah I'm glad you said that because I I, like I always say it's the small steps are like very healthy and you know people think I did it perfectly and it's like absolutely not there were many times that I called my mom to be like hey can you just talk to me (laughs) like can you distract me I feel like I'm gonna have a really bad panic attack and you know I did some of those things and relied on some things outside of myself but make you know the aim was to go toward not doing these things because I knew like this is this is short term like and you know to not beat myself up about it like okay this is how it looks right now 
it's not always going to look like this, but I it's it can be addictive, I feel like a little bit with the coping skills because you do. It's like this mm-hmm. this hit of okay, I I feel a little bit better now. Often a theme that I hear with people is like a water bottle. It's like a pretty <laughs> secure mm. attachment that they have to a water bottle like you know whether they feel like they oh have yeah trouble. The, ma- the magic water bottle but yeah. what's healthy yeah but your relationship with it isn't yeah right. that, that's the difference you know I, <laughs> people get very yeah. defensive about their um defensive mm-hmm. about their safety objects you know yeah. like just, you know that's fine do whatever i i'm just saying my point of view from a therapist someone who's been there and wasted a lot of my, not wasted a lot of my time it's too harsh but you know like I don't want you to go through all the crap that I went through. So I'm telling you, you know, like, it's okay to do the difficult thing. You're not going to lose control. You're not going to lose your mind. You're not going to lose control of your bowels. You're not going to do all these things. And just aim to do that a bit at a time. Look at that mm-hmm. progress. Oh, but I need my water bottle. Uh, there's a, people work with me in the UK uh, back when I used to work with people um, taking a sabbatical from being a therapist at the moment. But like one of their final challenges for the agoraphobic people anyway. Um, there's a hit. I said, where's your nearest hill? Get dropped off by a loved one. They drive off with your mobile phone, your magic bottle of water and all those things. And you just walk to the top of the hill. (gasps) Why? Oh my God. But what if, what if what, you know, you're just going to do what your ancestors did. They didn't have a car to drop you off. They didn't have a mobile phone and the plastic hadn't even been invented yet. So no, just walk to the top of the hill, you know? Okay, don't do it in forty degree heat, but you know, just <laughs> just walk. What's you're a human? Walk to the top of the hill. Your threat response will go bananas. It'll teach you to run away, look for safety. Don't leave me. Stay. No. And what happens is every time they get to the top of the hill, they feel amazing because they're like, I thought I'd panic and lose my head at the top of this hill, but by the time I got there, the threat response had rewired itself, and they got all the credit for getting there. They got like, mm. all the credit. They could, the credit couldn't go to the person waiting for them. The credit couldn't go to the mobile phone just in case, ring an air ambulance to come get me. The, you know, the, the credit couldn't go to that magic bottle of water just in case I started panic. They just had to be with their feelings and do it anyway. And that's what I, I mean. I love setting that challenge for people in therapy. Yeah. Obviously, you build up to that. You know, they don't just come knock on the door and then I kick them out and they walk up, <laughs> up the hill. But, you know, like you build up to that and, you know, that's why it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that obviously I'm sure that sounds quite terrifying to a lot of people and I think just even like in the the culture that we live in now, you, we like carry these devices and all these things with us and I think just an everyday human, right, that doesn't struggle with disordered anxiety can be like I need my phone. Like I need to take, you know, and I have these moments sometimes like the other day I was walking my daughter and we were miles from the house and I was like, oh gosh, I didn't, I forgot my phone. And then, you know, the only piece of me, my daughter has like allergies. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what it, and then I'm like, all right, Shannon, (laughs) we're a couple of miles from the house. There are people, there are cars that go by, like it's all good. We're going to well, keep going. Well, that's reasonable, isn't it? If, if it's, you know, yeah. if it's health, that's just called common sense, okay? Right. Like if, if my daughter has allergies or whatever, but you'll deal with it. Right. Anxiety right. will trick you into thinking it's immediate. Oh, yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. If, you know, if your daughter's got a nut allergy and you're walking through a field of peanuts, then yeah, right. maybe, <laughs> maybe that needs immediacy. But like in general, no, you like anxiety will convince you it needs your immediacy 
when actually you can just problem solve. You don't need the anxious response to problem solve. You can problem solve regardless. Right. Yeah, it's so funny Field of peanuts, it, by the way. That's what a ridiculous it, image that is. <laughs> it is. So it's so funny that you said that, though, because she does like anaphylactic reaction to peanuts and cashews. But I'm like, <laughs> there are no peanuts and cashews. Like, this is, you know. Yeah, we, exactly. We, <laughs> right. But it's just so funny because I think we do have these attachments to, to these things that we consider to be like safety, you know, these mm. I don't, I don't want to let go of these things. And, you know, I'm glad that you said it, it doesn't have to, you don't have to be dropped off at a hill and have all these things taken away from you and like, just go to it. It, it doesn't quite have to start there, but mm. I think it can be really helpful to allow you to see like, oh, what actually happens when I don't have like ice cubes at my access. And I, I see this one and I'm like, how's that even practical? Like, <laughs> What do you do? Do you like carry a cooler with you? Like really, I just and and, and another one that I saw it, it's it's so tough because I feel like you know we've been there and to see some of this advice put out there um, from some qualified, you know, technically seemingly qualified people, and you know to have a message be like, you know, if you're experiencing the symptoms and you feel like you're going to have a panic attack, go to the bathroom and throw water on your face, and I'm like. No. Um, how is that helpful? So no, I know, but <laughs> there's different types of th- what people got to remember is there's different types of therapists. Um, there's amazing ones like me. I'm joking. <laughs> there's different modalities. Uh, so like some people train in certain modalities, like talking therapy, uh, person-centered things, uh, and then you've got th- this. This kind of psychoeducation actually comes from cognitive behavioral therapy and and, and the different branches of that which can actually be quite a robotic therapy. I'm trained in it, and I really like the theory. It can be quite robotic. Uh, whereas I like, I kind of like you know, the soft, compassionate nature of the kind of client-centered modalities. So that's why I'm an integrative therapist. I use, I use both. But like, there's so many different modalities. It's a bit like what martial art you're trained in. Some people are trained in jiu-jitsu, and they'll, how you kick in jiu-jitsu is different to karate, which is different to Taekwondo, etc. Um, I'm actually quite enjoying this analogy. I've never used it before. And, uh, and it's the same with therapy. It's like kind of what therapist am I going to get? You know, what are they trained in? And what I do say with um, if disordered anxiety worries you uh, and it's concerning and, and what we're talking about today, I highly recommend finding someone's training, you know, in kind of cognitive behavioral therapy, who knows the psychoeducation behind it. Um, however, if you struggle with other things like co- co- comorbid things like grief, um, I've struggled with grief and I wouldn't go to a cognitive behavioral therapist. I go to a grief therapist, a grief counselor. Um, if I struggled with motivation, I'd probably, you know, I might go, go find, find a good coach or something like that. Uh, it depends. It's different things. Don't expect your therapist to know everything because they don't. Um, I've seen some great therapists and I've seen some also great therapists, but not trained in this. And I've also just seen some trash therapists. But so, you know, don't be disheartened if the first person you see doesn't have all the answers. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Cause I, it's like the, the wonderful world of social media can bring you a lot of helpful things like tools, techniques, but it can also bring a oh, lot, it's a lot full of-, of trash as well. It's, that, yeah. it's full of crap, you know, that's the thing. <laughs> Yeah, Tell us how you really feel, Josh. <laughs> yeah, it's just full of crap, you know. Like there is, you know, I, I, th- th- there's loads of good stuff out there, and 
like you said, but there is just a lot of a lot of rationing now. I've had to have a, put in a boundary with it as well um, because it's it can be quite infuriating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, same. That's like a whole nother discussion that we can do because I, <laughs> I, I I totally agree with you, and it you know setting those boundaries is pretty hard, but necessary. So, yeah. so what would you say to somebody? Right now, you know, if they're really, really struggling with panic and agoraphobia and they're kind of looking to to anything and everything, looking for answers, maybe trying all these different coping techniques, like what piece of advice do you think would be really important for them? So, so if you know, actually, you know, uh, this has been me for a long time, I, I know I just fear fear. I fear the fear and... I, I, I'm aware that what I'm doing is, is, is kind of just trying to avoid it, trying to fix it, trying to do all these things. My advice to you is just like approach it like a phobia, you know, and the more successful your exposure is, the more, you know, is the most, the more you've got the credit for it. So I would sit there and think, okay, what am I doing that's teaching the brain that anxiety is dangerous? Remember that. What am I doing that's teaching the brain that anxiety is dangerous? So if I walk out of my house to go on a short walk and then I have a pang of anxiety because I realize I've not took my bottle of water and I walk back for my bottle of water and it's not necessarily a hot day and I'm already very well hydrated because all all anxious people are always really well hydrated. Uh, What have I just taught the brain now? Mm, Ah, yeah. And you wonder why anxiety doesn't go away because the brain you're teaching the brain it's dangerous. It's a bit like if you've been bitten by a dog when you're younger. You know, the brain will remember that dogs are dangerous because it's trying to protect you. But not all dogs are dangerous. The vast majority of them aren't. So if you want to approach that, you you know, you slowly introduce yourself to dogs again, you know, hang around with little dogs and big dogs, stroke a dog, whatever, and suddenly dogs aren't scary anymore because you've done the work. Treat it like that. It's the same wiring in your brain. It's the same phenomenon, except anxiety is in your own head. It's like, you're, I'm afraid of my own feelings. I don't mean like it's all in your head, as in like, well, it kind of is all in your head. It's kind of like uh, the dog is in my head and I need to show my brain that I'm not afraid of the dog in my head. So I've been afraid of going over that bridge because the dog in my head might come out and scare me. It might tell me that I might lose control and drive off the bridge. It might tell me that I might, you know, this intrusive thought might come true and I might lose control and cause a crash. I might just feel really scared and trapped. And so when I avoid it, go around, go the long way, whatever, am I teaching the anxious response of the brain that anxiety is okay here? No, I'm not. But if I'm driving across the bridge and I'm scared, but I'm doing it anyway, Am I teaching the, the, the anxious brain, the, the, the brain that anxiety is safe? Yes, I am. Because I am willing to do it when anxious. And that's the magic trick. So uh, the biggest pitfall of people trying to overcome anxiety is that when they get anxious, they think they're failing. Hell no. It's the other way around. So when I get clients, whatever, and I say, oh, how's your week? They're like, oh, brilliant. I've not had a single bit of anxiety. I'm like, that's trash. I don't want to hear that. Uh, I'm not as harsh as that's trash. It's like, well, that's that's not a good week for me. All right. Actually, you know what, Josh? Yeah, I went out with my family. I went for a restaurant. I went to work, did a presentation. My anxiety has been super high, but I did it anyway. It's like, excellent. Now, how do you feel in here compared to last week? 
actually, I feel calmer. Even though my week's been quite anxious, I feel calmer. I was like, why? Because my phobia is less. I've taught the brain that actually I'm willing to do these things when anxious. And then the, the irony is, the paradox is, is like a paradox. The anxiety comes down. The paradox is I must be willing, truly willing to experience the discomfort of anxiety and all its scary symptoms. And then as soon as you're willing, like, fine, I don't care. It goes away. It's just really annoying. <laughs> it's the paradox of recovery. It's like, oh, you know what? I spent all that time willing to be, be you know, willing to be anxious. And now you're not there. That's when I knew I'd recovered because I'm like, I don't care. I'm willing to do it. Willing to do it. And then it just disappears. And you're like, oh, I'm not really bothered about it anymore. Uh, And you start to see it as a challenge. Yeah. And I like, I love how you said it's not a failure when you feel anxious because I think a lot of people can get caught up in that. And too, you know, have a few days where they're like, I felt great. I did the things and I, you know, anxiety wasn't really present. And then on the fourth day, it it was an absolute shit show and I had a panic attack and like, oh, uh, well, that's where the homework starts. Yeah. Yeah. The homework starts immediately. If you suddenly go, oh, I'm anxious, I'm failing. You you don't understand anxiety properly. You don't understand yeah. how the brain's working. As soon as you're anxious, that is your opportunity to start your homework to rewire your brain. And here's some more sciencey wincey stuff. The amygdala, which is important, the the whole the conductor of the threat response, the threat response part of your brain, that can only rewire itself when it is active, when you are scared. So if you think that you can try to erase anxiety when you're all calm and happy, that's why you're becoming frustrated because you're not rewiring anything. You rewire it when it is active. So if you're like going going on that long walk because you're afraid and, oh my God, I'm getting my anxiety seven, eight, nine out of 10, the higher your anxiety is, the easier it is to rewire that brain, that amygdala. And once I got my head around that, I was like, I get it now. And you feel so good after it. You're like, yes, and it's less scary. But if you're that person that goes, oh, I took my kids to the park and I was anxious and I'm a failure as a parent. Well, we can feel sorry for ourselves or we can do it properly. (laughs) You know, it's okay. I'd be like, right, how anxious are you? Five out of 10. Well, we need to crank those numbers up. They're rookie numbers. (laughs) (laughs) I love that meme. Get a, let's crank those numbers up. Let's go to that park, the other side of town. What? No, yeah, yeah. We want to get those numbers up. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it's such a – so we – down the road from us is a river, and there's a massive cliff that's probably 25, 30 feet, and everyone does it that has live, you know, lives in this area, and I had never done it. I grew up around here, and we went the other day, and my husband, he you know, has been jumping off this thing. We'll do anything. And I stood there for a good 10 minutes and was like, nope, don't think I can do this. And I was like, Shannon, you're doing it. Like no ifs, ands, buts, we're doing this. And I remember like I had to literally turn around, like face the other way. I like shook my body a little bit and then I was like, just do it. And I turned around and I ran and jumped off the cliff. And I've done it a few times since, but – it wasn't like every time, you know, after yeah. was magical and like, I feel great and I don't feel anxious. I felt pretty freaking nervous to do it yeah. all time subsequently, but it did get less, you know, I got less anxious, but. But what makes know, that not- fun is that it is scary. Yeah. You know, right. can you imagine, if you, <laughs> imagine if you turned off the anxiety of everything, life would be dull. 
Right. But I, I love getting anxious before public speaking. Yeah. Or going on a roller coaster. That's why people like going ro- on roller coasters oh, or yeah. jumping off cliffs. Because it's scary. You've got to learn to enjoy anxiety again rather than yeah, fear Yeah, because what – no, you're uh, so right. Like, because what would the fun be, right? Like, and my husband, I remember after I came up and he was like, I really didn't think that you were going to do that. And I was like, it, I feel so good. Like, I – I did that and I, I wanted to keep doing stuff like that. But if you ask your husband why, really think about why does he like it? He likes the buzz, the thrill, yeah. which yeah. is the same biochemical reaction as anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Go yeah. towards it. It's so fun. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Josh. So tell us, what do you have in the works? I know obviously you're usually super present on Instagram, but currently taking a little bit of a good mental health break. Like you have anxiety courses and newsletter, but I know you've been working on something. So do you want to share that? Yeah, so I've got loads of uh, self-help books for anxiety and stuff, but I'm actually writing a a mass market book, which is going to be available um, globally, which is fun. Uh, In the UK and the US, uh, it's going to be a book called, And How Does That Make You Feel? And it documents me working with people with different fictional clients obviously um working with people with different anxiety presentations it's like a comedy psychoeducation bit of bit of, bit of sadness in there a bit of a document but basically what's going on in my head as someone who's been anxious now an anxiety therapist working with people uh with anxiety and um i'm really quite excited for it uh and there's all this other stuff it, there you can there's stuff on under the school of anxiety so if you know if you find school of anxiety that's where I've just put everything if you want to go check it out. Yeah, I love it. I'm so excited for this book. I, you're you're very witty, so it'll be interesting to see how you spin it in the book. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, thank you, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Shannon. It's, uh, that was wonderful. Thank you. And before I end this episode, I want to mention that I'd really appreciate it if you shared this episode or any others with somebody who you feel could benefit from what I share here. You sharing these episodes is what helps me to reach and support others who need it. And if you have an extra minute in your day today, I'd also really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. I read every single review and this too is what helps me to help more people to heal and overcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Healthy Push. If you want more, head on over to ahealthypush.com for the show notes and lots more tips, tools, and inspiration that will support your recovery. And if you're hoping for me to cover a certain topic, be sure to join my Instagram community at A Healthy Push and let me know in the comments what you want to hear next.